Parshat Mishpatim, welcome to my Parsha Shir. We're going to be talking about the very first Pasuk in Mishpatim. We've spoken about it before. Uh, generally speaking, it's the Pasuk that connects because of the letter Vov at the beginning. It's the Pasuk that connects with the narrative at Mount Sinai, which is not quite true because there's another piece in between Mount Sinai and Ve'ilam Mishpatim. But in a sense, this idea that civic law, that uh, the laws that govern how a society should be run are very much part and parcel of the law that was delivered at Mount Sinai, the revelation, this is very much embedded into our tradition. We believe that there's no differentiation between spiritual ritual laws and laws which govern the way we conduct our society. That's essentially the backdrop to Parshas Mishpatim. And of course, at the end of Parshas Mishpatim, which I've spoken about in previous years, we have the second version of the narrative of the revelation of Mount Sinai. And it's the one in which we see the words Na'asev and Nishma, because we don't see that in Parshas Yisrael. But it's important to understand that Parshas Mishpatim, which contains a bunch of mundane laws about how we should conduct ourselves in our day-to-day lives, that that is so much a part of who we are as Jews, as Oivdei Hashem, as Avdei Hashem, as servants of God. We are who we are because we know how to conduct ourselves in society and with other people. Let's look at the very first posuk in Parshas Mishpatim. The Eile HaMishpatim, and these are the laws, these are the ordinances, Asher Tosim Lifneim. If you're looking for the source sheet, by the way, it's a three-page source sheet this week. Um, you can find it uh, right now if you're watching the Zoom. You can find it in the comments section. And if you are looking for it and you're watching YouTube, it's a, it's a comment on the YouTube uh, video. And if you are listening on SoundCloud, it's a comment on the SoundCloud sound clip. So if you want to see or print out the source sheet, you can do so. And of course, if you want to subscribe to my channel, either the YouTube channel or the SoundCloud channel, you can do so. The YouTube channel, we have a very helpful button that you can click on that uh, will enable you to be uh, regularly uh, updated when there is a new video that's uploaded online. But let's look at this very first passage. These are the ordinances. These are the laws. The laws of what it means to be a Jew in society that you shall place in front of them. And we're going to see that the word is a very important word that should be placed in front of them. We're going to see that that is not a word that was just thrown away, that was just used randomly by God when he spoke to Moshe Rabbeinu, that the word lifnehem is very, very important. But before we even look at the word lifnehem, I want to read to you a medrash. It's a very well-known medrash. There's various versions of this medrash, um, and each version of the medrash has elements in it, which are not found in the other version. I'm going to um, take the version from Medrash Tanchuma because it has a piece that I want to focus on because there's a beautiful piece from the Ksaf Sofer which relates to it. But essentially, it's the story of a person called Unculus. Have you ever heard of Unculus? Do you know who Unculus is? Unculus, also known as Achilles, was a Roman. 
And according to the Talmud, he was either a nephew of Titus or he was a nephew of Hadrian. In this particular version, he's a nephew of Hadrian. What we know for certain is that he was a Talmud of Rabbi Akiva. He was a student of the great Rabbi Akiva and he converted from whatever religion the Romans had to Judaism. And we have a translation of the Torah, which which we ascribe to him, which we say that was uh, what he wrote. In fact, the version that we have is probably a later version. He probably wrote a translation of Torah um, and it's a, it's a fascinating translation. I had a cousin, I have a cousin, he's called Meir and he's my cousin from Bnei Brak. And for his Bar Mitzvah, he wrote a safe. I have it, I didn't bring it with me today, but I have it in which this is long before there was such a thing as um, online resources. He went through the entire Targum Unculus before his Bar Mitzvah and noted all the differences between the translation of Targum Unculus and the actual words of the Torah. And that's considered to be a parish. So Unculus is considered to be, in some respects, a parish on the Torah. And in fact, we know that the Rishonim, the Mepharshim on the Torah, use Unculus often as a way of understanding with greater clarity what it is that the Torah is telling us. But uh, Unculus was this Roman aristocrat from a very distinguished Roman family who converted, Achilles Unculus, converted to Judaism during this very difficult, um, very volatile period of the destruction of the second base Amikdosh and around the time as well of Bar Kokhba, when there was uh, uh, great difficulties in being a Jew. We know that Hadrian, for example, it's going to come up in this Medrash, forbade anyone from being circumcised. This was considered to be a desecration of the human flesh. You're not allowed to circumcise yourself. The only time you can ever have an operation or any kind of um, uh, use of uh, a scalpel, a surgeon, was if there was a medical need. But you're not allowed to circumcise yourself for religious needs. He wanted to destroy this very important, this central, this um, uh, very um, deeply heartfelt aspect of Judaism. He wanted to do away with it and therefore he forbade circumcision. You're going to see that this comes up in the Medrash. It's a very important point. So whether or not Unculus was a nephew of Hadrian, the way the Medrash presents it, and you're going to see that it has homiletic purposes, that the Medrash wants, wants to teach us a very important lesson about what it means to be a Jew. It's presented to us in this story as a narrative of um, an episode in the life of Unculus in relation to his uncle Hadrian. Okay, here's the Medrash. The Eile Hamishpotim begins the Medrash. This is a Medrash Tanchum. I told you there's another version of this Medrash in Medrash Rabbah, and there's other versions of the Medrash. Even the version that we have in Medrash Rabbah, there's various versions of it. But we're going to read the version from Medrash Tanchum. We know that Tehillim, in Tehillim, we say it every day. We read the Halalukas, and one of the Halalukas ends off with the words, the Pasuk, Magid Yaakov, he declares his word to Yaakov, Chukov Israel, his um, statutes 
and his ordinances to Israel. He didn't do the same for every nation. And they do not know his laws. That's the possum. We end off with the word halalukah. It's the final it's the final posuk of that particular halalukah that we say every day in Pesukah de Zimra. You daven every day. That's one of the halalukahs that we say. What does this posuk mean? Unkelus hager. Unkelus, the proselyte, the convert. Ben Adrianus, who was the um, son of the sister of Hadrian. He was, for some reason, fascinated by Judaism. He was completely besotted with the idea that he needed to convert to this religion that he had discovered called Judaism. He was very frightened of Hadrian, his uncle. Why? Well, obviously he was frightened of him because Hadrian hated the Jews. He hated the Jewish faith. And how would he react if his own nephew converted to Judaism? The reaction wouldn't be positive. So he didn't want to tell his uncle, who was a mighty and powerful Roman emperor, that he wanted to convert to Judaism. So what did he do? Omar Loi, he said to his uncle, I'd like to become a businessman. That's what I'd like to do. He went to his uncle as if he was seeking his advice. And he said to him, Uncle Hadrian, I want to become a businessman. Omar Loi, so Hadrian responded, Shema Choser Kesev Zohov. One second, um, Mr. Unculus, are, are, are you lacking in anything? Do you need silver? Do you need gold? Do you need wealth? Why do you need to become a businessman? What is compelling you to become a businessman? My treasure troves, my treasure houses are open to you. You can take whatever you want. Don't become a businessman. Lead, lead a life of leisure. You can not do any business and still survive and thrive and have a wonderful life. Why would you need to go into business? Omar Loi. So Unculus responded to his uncle Hadrian and he said, Ani um, What does he say? The reason I want to become a businessman is not because I want to make money. Obviously, I know our family is very wealthy and very powerful. We can have whatever we want. But I'd like to get to know the world. I want to become a man of the world. At the moment, I am confined to the palace and I have everything I need. It's true, but it's a bit boring and I don't feel I know enough about life. I'd like to know more about life. And the way I'm going to know more about life is if I go and do business with people. Um, what, what is it that I want? Um, uh, I want to know from you what I need to do in order to become an international businessman. You're a person, you're a man of the world, you're very experienced. There's nothing you don't know. You've met everyone, you've seen everything. What can you advise me? I'm not asking you for money. I'm not even going into business because I want to make money, said Unculus to Uncle Hadrian. But I'd like to know from you what it is, if I'm going to go into business, that I need to look out for. You see, it was, a, it was a brilliant distraction. What he actually wanted to do was to convert to Judaism. But he went to his uncle, and in this uh, very cunning way, he convinced his uncle to let him out of the palace, to free him 
from having to be part of the royal court so that he could go out into the world. Now, obviously, he wanted to go to the Jewish people and become a Jew, but he didn't want to tell his uncle that. So he said, I, I need to have advice from you. He was kind of, he distracted him by asking him for his advice as to how he should become, what he should look out for if he was going to become an international businessman. Omaloi, Sir Hadrian was very flattered that his nephew should be asking him for this advice. Omaloi, kol prakmatio she'atoroye shefeila unusuna ba'aretz. Any commodity that you see is not valued. It's considered to be very cheap. It's thrown to the ground, as it were. Leich asoik ba. Go and involve yourself, engage yourself in this commodity. It's very cheap. Nobody wants it. And it's therefore something that you can buy at a very cheap price. And it will eventually go up in price and you will become very wealthy. You will profit from it as a result of the fact that you bought it when it was very cheap. Go onto the stock exchange, look for the cheap share that nobody wants to buy and that everybody is shorting the share. It's GameStop. You buy it, and now you're going to make a lot of money because there's people out there who don't want it, but actually it's got real value. Anyway, Hadrian listened, nodded, I'm sure, at his uncle, and his uncle gave him a big kiss and sent him on his way. He didn't waste a moment. He went to Eretz Yisrael, and he found a base medrash, and he sat there and he learnt. And that's what he did. He wanted to study Torah. That's the whole reason why he went. All right, that's the story so far. Continues the Medrash. The two great Tanoim, of course, we know them from the Mishnais, Rabbi Yezab ben Hirkanus and Rabbi Hoshua ben Chananya. These were the two great Tanoim who were always at loggerheads with each other. Rabbi Eliezer was very strict in his application of Jewish law, even though he was a Talmud of Hillel, he was also a Talmud of Shammai, we've spoken about it before. Rabbi Yoshua was much more lax in terms of his interpretation of the law. He did not necessarily see the reason for Chumros, and therefore, and he was a much nicer person. Uh, if, you know, if you wanted to spend an evening with somebody, you were probably more likely to be spending an evening with Rabbi Yoshua then with Rabbi Yezer, who was a bit of a tougher person, not such fun to be with. Rabbi Yeshua was a wonderful person. We know the story with Rabbi Gamliel. Rabbi Gamliel tried to have him evicted from, from, the, uh, from the Sanhedrin and from the Beis Medrash, as a result of which he was himself demoted and he was no longer the head of the Sanhedrin. Rabbi Yeshua was a beloved figure. In any event, Rabbi Yezer and Rabbi Yeshua were very good friends. I know it's hard to believe because they're always arguing in the Mishnah, but they were very good friends. They were once um, walking along the way, they were, and guess what? They found this fellow, Unculus, Achilles. They found him. They found Unculus, Ra'uhu Ponov Mishtanois, and they saw that he looks completely different. His whole the way he appeared had changed. He'd been sitting in a Bess Medrash for a long time, and obviously he'd taken on the look of a Ben Yeshiva. He didn't look like a Roman aristocrat anymore. He looked like somebody who belonged in the Yeshiva. Omru Zelozer, Akilas Loimei Torah, said Rabbi Yezer to Rabbi Yeshua, and Rabbi Yeshua back to Rabbi Yezer. Wow, look at this. Look what a change has occurred. 
as a result of the fact that Achilles, that Unculus, has studied Torah. Look how he looks. He looks completely different. His whole countenance has changed. His face has changed. His behavior has changed. His character has changed. Do you know why? Because he's learned Torah. So that's one very important message contained in this Medrash, that somebody who studies Torah and does it lishma, we're not talking about somebody who studies Torah because they want to gain knowledge or because they want to impress other people or because they simply want to um, know what it is that the Torah says so that you can use it for some other purpose. Somebody who studies Torah lishma, who goes to yeshiva and wants to study Torah, who wants to have Torah knowledge because he knows that's what Hashem wants from him. He knows that Hashem says, Hashem wants us to love him, and the proof of our love for Hashem is if we study Torah. What is the point of studying Torah? I don't know necessarily. I mean, some of the aspects of Torah are very important. Because we need to know how to conduct our lives. But there's aspects of Torah. We know that you know, all the study of Kodshim right now is of no necessity to us. We don't bring Karbonus. But does that mean we don't study any of, uh, of, the, of the tractates that can be found in Kodshim? That we shouldn't know how to bring Karbonus? Do we miss out Vayikra in the Chumish because it's not relevant to us? We don't have to know how to bring a Karbon Oila, a Karbon Tomid, a Karbon Shlamim, a Karbon Pesach. Because we're not bringing those korbanos, not at all. We need to know. Why? Do you know what's going to happen to you if you study Torah? Do you know what's going to happen to you if you study the words of Torah? You will change. You could have started off as a nephew of Hadrian from the Roman court, from the royal house of Rome, a nephew of the emperor. And you'll end up as a Ben Torah. Your countenance will have changed. You can meet Rabbi Yeshua and Rabbi Yeza and they look at you and they say, Is this the prince? The prince of Rome? Is this Mr. Unculus who wants to convert to Judaism? Look at him now. Torah Shogobapiv. He's a person who can say over Dva Torah. We can listen to him, we can learn with him. He knows Torah. His whole personality has changed because he studied Torah. That's the power of Torah. That's one message in this Medrash. But continues the Medrash. The Medrash says as follows. Because he met with Rabbi Yezah and Rabbi Yeshua, he began asking them many questions and he, of course, became even more learned, a greater Talmud Chochem. They answered him. They respected him. That's also important. So important for a rabbi to be able to teach his Talmidim. doesn't matter where they come from. You don't have to come from the best family necessarily. By the way, you can come from the best family and not be that interested in studying Torah. And the Rebbe also has to teach you. doesn't matter who you are, what you are, what your level of learning is, what your level of knowledge is. Rabbi Yahushua and Rabbi Yezah were willing to teach Unculus. Whoever you are, you should teach whoever it is that wants to learn. Another message that's embedded in this wonderful Medrash. But let's continue. Allah Eitzel Adrianus Doidoi. He goes back to Rome and immediately he has an audience with her uncle Hadrian. 
Hello, uncle, he says to him. Omar loy, veloma ponecho mishtanois. Adrian, Hadrian, noticed that Uncle Lux looks a bit different. When he left, he was wearing a toga. And when he comes back, he's wearing, I'm not going to, I know I'm going to say this is going to sound ridiculous, but he's wearing a Bochersche hat and a suit and a white shirt, or Streimel Beckersche, whatever it is. Whatever it is that would have made him look completely different than someone who hangs out in the royal courts of Rome. And Hadrian was no fool. He saw that his nephew looks completely different. Sovur ani shefsido prakmatio shelcha oishema hatsarli heitsar lecha odom. He says, maybe you've been very unsuccessful in business and the commodities you've invested in have lost you money. You've not been successful in anything that you've done. And that's why you, you look a bit different. You look maybe depressed. I don't know. You look, you look as if you are downcast, you're downhearted. Or maybe it is that somebody's bothered you. Somebody has harmed you. I'll show them, says Hadrian. You're my nephew. I'll take care of them. And don't forget, he had the power of life and death of anybody he wanted. Hadrian was looking out for his nephew. He sees his nephew looks different. He doesn't look the same as when he left. He looks slightly down and out. So what was going on? That's what Hadrian wanted to know. Omaloi, love. That's not what happened. You know what? I'm your nephew. No one's going to do me any harm. I never lost any money. So he says, are you related to me? If you're related to me, no one is going to harm me. In which case, why have you changed? You look so different. Everything about you looks different. There's something totally different about the way you look. Says, Unculus to his uncle, he takes the plunge and takes the risk. Do you know why I look different? Shalomadati Torah, because I studied Torah. Here we go. Crash, bang. He says it like it is. Hadrian, my uncle, the king and the emperor of Rome and the Roman Empire, you have forbidden... For anyone to be circumcised to have a bris milah, I had a bris milah. Hello, I'm your nephew. I had a bris milah. Omaloi. Umi omalachokach. So Hadrian was very shocked. He says, who told you to have a bris milah? Who would have told you to do such a terrible thing? I'll go for them. I'll kill them. I'll destroy them. That they would have done this to you. Haha, omaloi. Becho nimlachti. Do you know who told me to have a bris milah, Uncle Hadrian? You did. Uncle Hadrian told me to have a bris milah. <laughs> oh my lord! Amosai! Says Uncle Hadrian to Unculus. What are you talking about? When did I tell you that? I could never have told you such a thing. I have forbidden circumcision. There's no way that I would have told you to be circumcised. Oh my lord! What are you talking about? Says do you remember I came to you some time ago and I asked you whether or not I could go into, go into business and I needed your help. And you said to me, you gave me some very good advice. Do you know what the advice is that you gave me? Anything, any commodity that you see that is undervalued, that is cheap. It's thrown to the ground. Nobody wants it. 
You know what you should do with it? Leich va'asoik bar. Go and do business with that commodity. Why? Because at the end, that commodity will be valued. That commodity will go up in value and it will make you very, very wealthy. Ha ha ha! Says Unkelus. I went around all the different nations of the world. I'm your nephew. I had access wherever I wanted to go. And I saw every nation in the world, but there was no nation that was a commodity that was less valued and more cheapened than the Jewish nation. The Jewish nation was treated like something that could be thrown to the ground, has no value. Everybody was shorting the Jewish nation. Ah, the sofolis alois. But I recognize the fact you told me. Uncle Hadrian, you said, find that commodity. And when you do buy it, oh, I bought it. The sofa is alois. And I know that that commodity is going to go up in value. It's going to elevate in value. It's going to make me very, very rich. Shekane Omar Yeshaya, because Isaiah the prophet said, this was the posuk that was said by Yeshaya, Omar Hashem, Goyel Yisrael, Kedoshoi, Livzoi Nefesh. The, the Posuk says, so says God, the Redeemer of Israel, his Holy One, to him who is despised of men, to him is, who is abhorred of nations, to a servant of rulers. You know what he says? Kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of God that is faithful, even the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. That's the Posuk of Yeshaya that was quoted by Unculus to Hadrian. And of course, I mean, the, the Medrash continues. It's, it's a little shocking and jarring that one of Hadrian's um, I don't know what to call them. The, the people who are uh, operating the court is his uh, right-hand man said, but why don't you just kill Unculus? Anyway, he didn't kill Unculus. And this guy went off and committed suicide. He was so shocked that Hadrian's own nephew would have converted to Judaism, the most despised religion of that particular period of ancient history. So we see here that the very first posuk that was quoted by this medrash was Magid Devarav Yaakov Chukov Mishpatov Li Israel La Asachin La Cholgoy Mishpatim Baliudom. The whole idea is that this is something which is specific to the Jewish nation, but it's not something that's available. It's not something that can be accessed by the by any goy by any non-Jewish nation by any Gentile Mishpatim Baliudom. That's what we say, that somehow they don't have access to this knowledge, to this spirituality, to this God closeness that is available to the Jewish people just because they do the right thing, because they behave correctly. And even if the uh, share price of the Jewish nation is very low, it doesn't matter. Magid Devar of Liyakov, Chukov, Mishpat of Israel. We know that God is in direct communication with us. And now we're going to see what the Ksav Seifer says. The Ksav Seifer 
you can see it on page two in your source sheet, was a son of the Chassam Seifer. The Chassam Seifer, the great rabbi of Pressburg, originally from Frankfurt am Main, he was a German Jew who had to escape from anti-Semitism in Frankfurt, ended up eventually as the Rav of Pressburg and one of the most sought-after rabbinic leaders of the period in the early 19th century, the early 1800s. He died in 1839. He had one wife, but unfortunately she never had children, and she died, and he remarried to the daughter of his contemporary, more or less the same age, Rabbi Akiva Eger, and he had many children from his second wife, and the oldest son was the Ksav Seifer, um, and the Ksav Seifer, who lived, I think, until the 1870s, if I remember correctly, uh, he was also the Rav of Pressburg after his father died, and his son was the Shevet Seifer, and he was also the Rav of Pressburg, and he had a son called Rabbi Akiva Seifer, and he was also the Rav of Pressburg, and there's many descendants of the Chassam Seifer and of course of the Ksav Seifer and uh, they are all of them in very distinguished positions around the Jewish world whether they are rabbis or philanthropists or activists the Seifer family the Schreiber family are deeply embedded and involved in every aspect of Jewish life across the Jewish world. The Ksav Seifer quotes this Medrash he says Ve'ela mishpatim the Pasuk, the beginning of Parshas Mishpatim says, what does it say? Bemedrish Maise Alzeh, that the Medrash brings on this first Pasuk of Mishpatim, Ve'ela Mishpatim, Maged Devarav Liyakov Chukov Mishpatav Yisrael. The Medrash associates this Pasuk in Tehillim of Maged Devarav Liyakov Chukov and Mishpatav Yisrael with the very first pasuk in Parshas Mishpatim Ve'ela Mishpatim, which is the beginning of Perik Chof Aleph in Sefer Shmois. Nira Li says the Ksav Sefer. What does he say um, to understand Al Pitchuvas Rama? The Rama has a particular approach, which is as follows: the Af. So the Ramah says that even though Noachai descendants, which is basically every other human being on the planet besides for the Jewish nation, they're all commanded on something which we refer to. One of the Sheva Mitzvahs B'nai Noach is something called Dinim, which is civil law, the law of society, the law that governs the way society should live. By the way, there's many comparisons, many similarities, ma- many congruences between the civil law of Bnei Noach and the civil law that's contained in the Torah. And that's really what the Ksav Sofa wants to address. The fact that the Bnei Noach are instructed expected, commanded to observe law, dinim, that doesn't mean that their dinim are the same as our dinim. They have to conduct themselves according to a law, but not necessarily the law as we are commanded. So the law that they have is it's in some respects an evolutionary law. 
Obviously, there's some givens in any law. You're not allowed to murder. You're not allowed to steal. You're not allowed to uh, be an, ab uh, an abusive person or engage in sexual immorality. Those things are givens. But what are the definitions of those laws? How do we know what it means to steal or not to steal? So it's very easy for us. We open up the Shulchan Aruch in Choshen Mishpat, and we will know whether or not what we are doing is considered stealing because the Choshen Mishpat has very clear rules as to what it means to steal if you are going to observe Jewish law. But it's not necessarily the case if you're observing secular law. And that's fine because Dinim is not governed by what it means to be a Torah-observant Jew. That's what the Ksav Sofer is saying. It's very interesting. Um, it says, It doesn't say exactly how they have to observe civil law. It doesn't tell them how to do it. It just says that they have to observe something called Dinim. It's Sheva Mitzvah Bnei Noach, the seven Noachide laws, just tells them that one of the things that they need to do is have a civil society in which law and order must prevail. And that's what the posuk means. By the way, that's what it means. This is, this is really what the posuk is telling us. These are the laws that you need to give to the Jewish nation. These are not the laws that govern society at large. These are specific laws that govern the way the society of the Jewish nation should be run. Magid Magid We know that there are laws which are given called the Elahamishpatim laws. These are the laws that immediately followed the revelation at Mount Sinai. This is the way that we need to conduct ourselves if we want to have a relationship with Hashem, if we want to be good Jews. It's got nothing to do with being Bene Noach. B'nai Noach also have laws, but they're not governed by the Torah. How should a person behave alongside someone else? But that's not the way that the, the, the laws were given to every nation. They don't know our laws. not that they don't know them. It's not relevant to them. They don't need to know them. It's It's for the Jewish people. It's not for the remainder of society, for all the Gentile nations. They are simply expected to have a system of government and a system of law and order and a judiciary which makes sense and which makes sure that law and order will prevail. Whatever law and order they decide is relevant to their society. And that's what it means when the Medrash um, correlates this posuk from Tehillim with the word Lifnehem in the posuk of It's Lifnehem. It's for the Jews. Jews. It's for the Jewish nation. It's not for the others. Not for the others. Even though they are expected to observe civil law, what does that mean? There is a big difference between the civil laws that govern our society, Jewish society, the way the Jews are expected to live, and the way the Gentiles are expected to conduct themselves in their civil society. Continues the Ksav Soifer. 
So we know that the posuk is a curious posuk because it connects somehow. Remember the, the letter Vav at the beginning of Ve'ela Mishpotim connects the Mishpotim, the ordinances, the laws that are contained in this parsha with everything that comes before. Ve'ela HaMishpotim, as Rashi says, Kosov Rashi, why do we have this connection between the last part of Parshas Yisroi, which talks about building a Mizbeach, an altar, and the Parsha of Mishpotim, the Parsha of laws, the chapter concerning the laws of governing a civil society? So, Loma Nismech of Parshas Mishpotim, the Parshas Mizbeach, Loima Lohoshib Dayonim Etzamaha Mizbeach, says Rashi. By the way, he's quoting a Medrash, that the Dayonim had to be the most senior Jewish judges in any particular era, had to be situated, located in the area near the Mizbeach, near the altar. Nir Elila Hasbir says the, the Ksav Seifer, I would like to explain this in a very wonderful way. But Tuv Tam Vadas Alpisha Kosav Rashi Lael Seifashat Yisrael. Based on something else that Rashi says towards the end of Parshas Yisroi, what is that? The Mizbeach also Sholoim ben Yisroi laAviim shebashamayim. The Mizbeach, the altar. What is the purpose of the altar? You bring korbanos, you bring sacrifices on the altar. That the only reason the altar is there is so that we should be able to sustain, maintain, and in fact engender a positive relationship between God and the Jewish people. We should enable there to be shalom, to be between, for there to be peace between God and his nation. Why is that? Because when you bring a korban, you bring a korban oila, you bring a korban chatos, you bring a korban asham, what does it do? Tell me, what does it do? Do you know what it does? It enables you to be at peace with God because you may have done an Avera, but now you've brought a Korban and you've done Teshuva and now there's going to be peace between God and you and you who have done an Avera. Says the Ksav Seifa. What is a Korban? Um, how, does it, how does it work? The whole concept of a Korban is if you did something, but not on purpose, by mistake, you did something that was wrong, but it was... An error, it was an oversight, it may have been a bit negligent, you should have done better, but you didn't want to do an Avera in that sense. So you bring a carbon, that's why you bring it. And that's, and that's going to help you. But if you were Mechalel Shabbos, for example, on purpose, or if you ate non-kosher food on purpose, or if whatever it is that you did, you did it on purpose, you didn't do it by mistake, a carbon isn't going to help. Do you know what Chazal tell us? Our sages, the Talmudic sages teach us, We should be very thankful when there is din, when a matter is concluded here on earth, then when you get to Shamayim one day, when you, after 120 years, you are standing in front of the Kisei HaKovah, in front of the heavenly throne, you won't be judged for things which... The matters which have been dealt with here, down below, as it were. Lamato. Eindin lamalo. Kisha eindin lamato. Yeshdin lamalo. However, if you didn't settle matters when you were here, then when you get to Shamayim, 
those matters will need to be settled. There's going to be uh, some form of retribution. There's going to be an action that will result from that. In any aspect of your life where there can be some form of correction, as it were, here in this world, and the Dayanim make sure that that correction happens, they punish whatever the punishment is to that person who committed the sin. Oz Hashem then if that's the case, Hashem is going to behave kindly towards us. If we have a system of government, a system of governance in this world, which makes sure that when something happens which is wrong, it's dealt with, then Hashem will behave beautifully towards us. Hashem will forgive us and we will be as if we are tzaddikim. If a wicked person is not treated harshly in this world, somehow he gets away with his actions, and there's no admonition, he's not told off, he's tolerated, he's completely ignored as if he's done nothing wrong, there's going to be a din upstairs, as it were, the that God will deal with it. God will have to address it. When it comes to it, God will stand in judgment. He will have this midas hadin towards whoever it is who has done something wrong. Because God is going to treat what, whatever the situation is as if it happened. He's not going to ignore it. Which is why it says in Pasha Shoftim that a dying should never be in a situation where they ignore something, where they cover something up, where they allow something to happen. A dying has to be someone who when something wrong happens, they are going to act and they're going to make sure that whoever it is who's done it is at least given the possibility of doing teshuva. That is the role of a dayan. That's what a dayan is there for. That says the Ksav Soifa is the reason why dayanim are referred to as Eloikim. Eloikim nitzov ba'adas keil, we say in the Posuk. Eloikim meaning dayanim. We don't mean that God stands in judgment, but dayanim judges are in the place of God. By the way, much better for you to go to a dying than to end up having to stand in front of God in the Olam HaMS. You don't want to be in that situation. Make sure that whatever retribution needs to take place is going to happen as it were here. Lamata, not Lamala. We don't want it to be Lamala. The job of a dying is to make sure that judgment is carried out and they can't have mercy because having mercy is actually going to damage the relationship between Klal Yisrael as a whole and God that we don't want to happen. Says the Ksav Soifer, and he says, I've, I've actually spoken about this at great length elsewhere. This is the reason why Dayonim have to be put next to the Mizbeach. This explains the Rashi 
at the beginning of Parshas Mishpatim. Kamoi hamizbeach oisah sholem ben Yisrael aviyem shabashomayim. Just as the mizbeach has this ability to create harmony, to create peace, to create a good relationship between God and the Jewish nation. Kain hadayonim kishaisim din lemata ein din lemala. We know that when dayonim do din lemata. They make sure that the halacha is upheld and they make sure that there is no, um, there is no uh, uh, injustice and that the way that people behave towards each other is perfect in the, as much as they can with every effort. If there's yeshtin lemata, then eindin lemala, then those people won't be held accountable when they get to shomayim. And in that way, they enable there to be peace and the harmony between God and uh, the Jewish nation. That we, the Jewish nation, are enabled in our relationship between ourselves and God. And they will be forgiven even for the things that they've done wrong, which they did on purpose. Let's say somebody stole money from somebody else, comes in front of the Dayonim in a Din Torah, and the Dayonim, they're not frightened to do the right thing. And they say, you owe that guy the money. And the guy pays the money back. It was amazing. He stole the money. He knew what he was doing. And because of that, just like what we have in the Mizbeach, which is to do with Shoigagim, we have with Mezidim and Abazdin, where they can make sure that Shuva happens, the money is paid back, and the relationship between us and God isn't damaged because of the um, crimes that were committed between man and man within society. That's what it means when it says, and these are the ordinances, these are the laws. It's going on that which came previously, which came previously, which is to do with the Mizbeach. Even though the Mizbeach doesn't offer any kind of kapora, any kind of penitence for things that weren't done on purpose, that were done on purpose, only for things that were done by mistake. But we have actually, because Dayonim sit next to the Mizbeach, that's the hint, that's the sign that there is the possibility, even with Mezidim, even things uh, for things that were done on purpose, that we can, uh, we can have retribution, we can have a solution. To save the nation and to save the individual from punishment from heaven. To make sure that we establish and maintain and sustain peace and harmony. Because through carrying out the rules and regulations, making sure that we honor and uphold those rules and regulations as contained in Parshas Mishpotim, we can, uh, we can make sure that we sustain our relationship with Hashem. Shalom al Yisrael. I actually have a Chassam Sofer as number four, source number four. I'm not going to go through it now. It's a fascinating piece. You can look at it yourself. But I'd like to end off with a piece from Rabbi Yisrael of Rizin. I wrote recently an article about the um, shenanigans in the court of Sadiger, because uh, the Rebbe, who I knew very well, Rabbi Stroll Moshe, he lived in London for many years, he was the Rebbe for the last seven years, and unfortunately he died last August, and there's been some dispute, 
and disagreement as to who should take over as the new Rebbe of Sadiger. And uh, I wrote this article and some of the um, followers of Sadiger, even the family of the, of the Rizhina dynasty, were concerned that I don't maintain a full respect and regard for the Rizhina dynasty because of some of the things I wrote. Well, let me tell you, I have the highest regard for the Rizhina dynasty. They brought back the royalty of King David into the Jewish nation. They managed to create an aura of respect for rebbers, for rabbis, that had previously not existed in quite the same way. And I have the highest regard, of course, for Rabbi Yisrael of Rizhin, as he's known in the Hasidic world, the Heilige Rizhina, the Holy Rizhina. And we're now going to say a Torah from him on this very first posuk of Parshas Mishpatim. The Eila HaMishpatim. This is taken from the Sefer, Ne Yisrael. I think there's seven volumes of Ne Yisrael. I have the first two, and uh, hopefully one day I'll have the subsequent five. But uh, it's a fabulous Sefer that contains Divrei Torah and historical episodes from the House of Rizhin. The Sefer Ilona de Chaye. In this Sefer Ilona de Chaye, maybe B'Shem Moran Merizhin is Chusay Yogan Aleinu Shepirish B'Kotshay. They bring an explanation on this first posuk of Parshas Mishpatim from the Helig Rizhina, from the holy first rabbi of the Rizhina, Chasidim, Rabbi Yisrael of Rizhin. Shehadinim yu lifneem veloilachreihem. That's what the Rizhina said, that when it says veeleha mishpatim ashetosim lifneem, the word lifneem was said on purpose specifically, that anything which is a mishpat should be lifneem, not Lachraim should be ahead of you, in front of you, in time, as it were, rather than behind you, something that's in the past. The Shambagos Mitame Yitzchak, and there is an explanation in the notes of the Mitame Yitzchak, Kosav, Perhaps we can explain exactly what he meant as follows. The holy Jew of Pshischa, the um, Yida Kodosh of Pshischa, he said as follows. He explained, he had a wonderful explanation about the dispute, the disagreement between Beishamai and Beishillel about how we light Hanukkah candles. We know that. We spoke about it only a few weeks ago. What is the dispute? On the first night of Hanukkah, says Beishamai, we light eight lights. And each night after that, the second night we light seven, the third night six, etc., all the way through to one. We, each night we light one less than the night before. What does Beishillel say? Basilel says the opposite. On the first night, this is what we do. We light one, and the second night, two, three, four, five, six, and the eighth night, we light eight. It's a, it's a Gemara, is in Shabbos, Chof Aleph, Omid Base. The Beishamai Sovri says the Yida Kodesh, that what Beishamai believes is Shekoidem Re'odam Losur Mehora, the Ma Sheivas. The per- first thing a person has to do is to make sure that he's eradicated any evil, 
in his actions and in his life. That's the first and most prominent thing that you need to think about. You need to be a peiches v'hoilech. You started off fully bad and slowly but surely you're going to eradicate and eliminate the bad in your life. Because you're a sur meirah, you're distancing yourself from bad, you will be a peiches v'hoilech. Each day you'll be less bad than you were the day before. Or Basilel Savri, but Basilel says something different completely. Maisif Vahilech. You have to increase each day. What is he talking about? Shemiyad Mitzvah. That you should always every day increase on the amount of Torah and mitzvahs that you are involved in. That's what's important. And in that way, automatically you will have distanced yourself from bad because you're doing good, and that's how we paskin. We paskin like base Hillel, that you start off with one and you end up with eight. You always increase on the amount of good. Don't worry about decreasing the amount of bad. Focus on the good and the bad will automatically uh, be out of your life. Because to wait until you've managed to correct that which is bad in your life, and only then after you've been peiches v'hoilech and at the end of the eight days, as it were, but Hanukkah is just a, a kind of remez to it. But the idea being that if you're going to wait to, until you're able to say, well, there's no more bad in my life and now I can start doing good, yochlu hayomim v'heim lo yochlu. So, v'hine, asiyas ha-mitzvahis v'lilmoid v'lispalel karoi. Doing mitzvahis and learning Torah and davening properly, nikra lifnehem. That's called, says the um, Metame Yitzchok, who's explaining the words of the Rizhina. He says that's called Lifneim, in front of you. Why? Pirish Masha Lifneim Oidlasis, because you still have to do it. You didn't do it yet. Now you're still going to, you're going to do a mitzvah. You're going to daven better. You, whatever it is you're going to do is ahead of you. It's in the future. The Charota Utushuva al Havoinois Nikral That which you regret, which was done in the past, of course. I mean, it makes perfect sense. That's in the past. Because you're very, very busy with that which happened before something in the past and you want to correct it and you want to deal with it. And maybe that's what the Hilagarijana, the holy Rabbi Israel of Rijan, that's what he meant when he said what he said about the Posuk That which you need to do, it should always be something which you consider to be in front of you. Don't be somebody who's dwelling on the past and about everything bad that's ever happened. Focus on the future. Be upbeat about the future. Be upbeat about what you can do, not depressed about what you did and may not have gone according to plan. When somebody is going through, as it were, mishpotim about the things that are going on in his life, what you need to do is say, okay, whatever's happened in the past, that's happened. Now, from now on, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to make sure that I'm going to 
improve whatever it is that I can improve so that I can be the best person that I can be. Don't dwell on the past. Dwelling on the past, and by the way, this is a big theme in Rabbi Nachman of Breslov. Dwelling on the past and being depressed about all the things that are wrong in your life is just the Yetzirah's way of making sure that you don't do what you need to do, as the Rishina says, Lifnehem in front of you, ahead of you. How's your life going to look from now on? Not how did it look yesterday and last week and last month and last year, but how is it going to look ahead of you? What am I going to do to change my life ahead? We'll deal with the past when we get to it. But the most important now thing now is Somebody who's worried about somebody who's only worried about the past is going to be so focused on that that they're not going to be concerned about the future. And by the way, the present right now, tomorrow is going to be the past and you're going to regret that too. So make sure that your focus is fully on the future, fully on the positive, fully on the upbeat that you can feel the best way that you can feel about what's going to happen tomorrow and next week in a month and in a year because it's going to be better than it was. The good times follow bad times. Anything that happens to you from now on should be positive. That's the message of the very first posuk in Pashas Mishpotim. The Eileh HaMishpotim Ashetosim Lifneim. These are the dinim that I put in front of you. These are the dinim. These are the things that I put in front of you, ahead of you in the future. We'll leave it here for today.